house sometimes feels like international travel is but a distant memory these days. The anticipation of heading somewhere unknown, the unfamiliar sights and sounds, the unrivaled freedom that comes with the privilege of being able to take your passport and just go. For my guest today, travel has been, up until the pandemic, such a central part of her life. Teresa and I first met partway through her big overseas trip a few years back when she travelled down to New Zealand after making her way across Asia. Sometime after that, she went to South Africa and created a short travel series called Where Art Thou, where she interviewed contemporary artists as a way to learn about their country. Now back in the US, Therese lives and works in Los Angeles in film and television. In our conversation, we talk about what it was like for her traveling the world as a black woman, her own ups and downs in finding her own identity, including why it's been so difficult for her to connect with her Indian heritage, and how she feels about the future of race relations in her country. Hey, Therese, how's it going? Hey, Teo, it's going well. How's it going with you? Good, thank you. Now, you are back in LA after spending some time back home. Yes, and I'm so happy to be back in LA, even though everyone's like scared of getting the Rona. It's so good to be back (laughs) on the West Coast. How has that whole experience been for you? Horrible! I hate it! (laughs) It has been such a roller coaster the past few years, right? With everything going on. (laughs) I don't think I need to specify. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's been horrible, terrible, no good, and very bad. But I mean, you know, you never want to put too much stock into old white guys. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, Biden's administration um, at least will will be like able to cauterize the bleeding of the last four years, and especially the last two years. Oy. But yeah, it's been horrible. But you know, the vaccine rollout is happening and LA is one of these cities with the highest levels of vaccination. So hopefully so, things will start turning hopefully. up. Yeah. Hopefully 2021 will be the year. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's what we said for 2020. I'm scared to oh, claim God. it. <laughs> yeah. Trade can I just want to make it to the end. <laughs> yeah. So we actually met when you were doing a year in New Zealand, right? Yes, wonderful New Zealand. That was, it feels like such a long time ago, but also not that long ago either. Can you talk me through your journey in getting to New Zealand? Because you had gone to so many other places before deciding to come to New Zealand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My journey's going to make me sound like an idiot. So, uh, <laughs> forewarning. Um, so, basically, when I, I used to work um, at the software company when I lived in Boston, which is where I lived for a number of years after college. And um, I just was like fed up with it. But because I was working in software, I was able to save all this money. And I was really young. So I really didn't have any kind of you know expenses to, to speak of. With that money, I, I kind of just decided to take a trip. And um, I wanted to go to a region I'd never been before. And so I went to Cambodia. And then when I was in Cambodia... Um, instead of staying for a month, like I had thought I was going to do, I just ended up staying indefinitely. And I was like, I'm just going to travel until I feel like I want to go back to America. So I bounced around South Asia and then East Asia for a while. I went to, um, Thailand and then I went to India and then, um, I went to Hong Kong and then I went to Beijing and then I spent some, I spent like two months in Japan. And then I had always wanted to go to New Zealand because... (laughs) 
<laughs> oh god, is that Lord of the Rings so related? <laughs> no, it's not Lord of the Rings related, but it's not much better. Oh uh, no. <laughs> I really like I really liked the show Flight of the Concord. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, um, yeah. so embarrassing it had to be one of those <laughs> <laughs> I really liked the show and I remember like I had no concept of like what New Zealand seemed like so when I started watching this show I started like googling stuff about New Zealand and I was like oh this place is like kind of cool so I did that when I was in college um when I was like in my you know like 19 20 um 21 and then so when this when this trip started happening what so I, I left when I was like 26 I think 26 or 27 and I was like, well, I'm here. Like, I might as well. Because <laughs> my thinking was like, I'm never going to get this chance again, probably. So. I mean, you were kind of right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> with everything going on right now, who knows when we'll be able to travel again. Oh, God. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. But yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. you went to so many different places. I'm really curious about your experience there. Um, because we did kind of talk about this before um, our call today. We talked a little bit about what it was like traveling to all these different places as a black woman. Yeah, so I, it's it's super interesting because you know I think you know I grew up in America and so my concept of like racialized identity is very firmly an American one. And traveling really kind of showed me how subjective it actually all is. There were a lot of parallels because the places that I went to were also former colonies. And so there were a lot of similarities, which was super wild to me, just kind of seeing, for example, the same kind of um, problems that the like indigenous and black community has in America and like the in Latinx community as well. Like, you know, the same kinds of problems that are present in New Zealand or are present in Australia are present in South Africa with the low levels of, um, you know, adequate access to health care and like the high levels of like, you know, substance abuse and like mental health troubles with no kind of like real, you know, support system or, you know, low levels to access to like fresh food and like good education. And, you know, so that was that was super interesting. to me. I'd never really considered that the kind of copy and paste colonialism would also have the same copy and paste problems. Mm. Did you feel like you were treated differently? Yeah, it's interesting because um, in New Zealand, for example, it was very much like <laughs> I was like not the um, problematic minority because there aren't any black people in New Zealand or like, Amer- <laughs> you know, like African. There's not a lot. There's not a huge population of like yeah. people of African descent in New Zealand. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, like immigration has probably changed that, but historically there hasn't been right I found it really interesting that people would say white people um would say really um really horrible racist things to me and I'd be like um because in America those are the kind of things they'd be saying about me to other people you know right okay and I get I'm guessing they were saying that about like Maori or Pacific Islanders yes mm. yeah they were like don't go to these areas and I and then I'd find out that those areas were just like brown neighborhoods <laughs> <laughs> which is like a narrative that exists in America it's like don't go to that part of town and then you find out that it's where a lot of like black or Latinx people live and they're like don't go there and it's like well okay I guess I'm not I'm not afraid of people who look like me so you know there's no real like fear there but um but yeah that was curious that was a curious sensation and then um in Asia it was interesting as well because you know depending on where I was you know, the reception was quite different. So like, so, so my dad is actually Indian because 
in the Caribbean, there was a lot of Indian people who were brought over after slavery was abolished. So there's a large population of Indian people there. And so when I was in India, in the south of India, it was wild because a lot of people looked like me. So there people like were like, oh, you're Indian. And, and that was really not an experience that I'd ever had growing up, really. Like, I think probably like five people my entire life outside of my trip in India have like been like, are you Indian? You know, so that was like, that was interesting. Um, and it was like pretty benign, too. I think northern India you know, that was like a little bit tough because there's, you know, there's a lot of colorism in India. And I, and I wonder if, I think people definitely read me as American first rather than as black first, which was uh, a new experience for me. But I don't think people were as like welcome or open or friendly to me in the North as they were in the South. You know, when I was in Beijing, I loved Beijing, by the way, I'm dying to go back. But yeah, this I, I think there's a lot of like sex workers over there. And so I think people read me as a sex worker too. And somebody like grabbed my ass on a bus, which was which was super That uh, is so inappropriate. Yeah, it was and it was like really quick. It was kind of like a I was like walking down the aisle. So I couldn't even like turn around and like see like which person it was. You know, it could have been any of the guys who were sitting and and I just you know, it was really disempowering. Yeah, know? I was gonna say, um because that happens a lot in japan where like older men will like grab school girls on like really busy trains and buses and things and you're just kind of like this object yeah that's that sucks to hear that um <laughs> damn we have it hard all over the world <laughs> <laughs> damn it no okay so but generally was your experience in china like other than that awful bus experience was it okay yeah, it was awesome. People were super friendly. People really tried to help me because it was clear that I like knew nothing about no- anything. And so it was, <laughs> it was great. I mean, there was like, you know, obviously, I'd, I, you know, could have learned some basic phrases, I should have learned some basic phrases before I went. But even without knowing that, I mean, I knew like, hello, and thank you. But even without knowing that people really did try to help me. And I remember one time I was lost in the sky he like was trying to write out directions to me, but they were all in Mandarin. Oh, no. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, well, thank you, I guess. Aww, that's cute that he was trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People were so friendly. And, you know, I think what, one of the biggest fears I had of traveling a place where I didn't speak the language was, um, you know, like what happens if I get lost or what, if, what happens if I'm in trouble? And the overwhelming um, experience I had was that people really were just so, so helpful. Like just, it was, I think the most, you know, like discomfort I ever felt was sad to say from like, uh, like other Americans or European travelers. Oh, okay. Like men. Mm. Yeah. okay. So China and then you spent some time in Japan. Yeah. Oh my God. That was ugh, so fly. I love Japan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was great as you also love Japan. Yes. So, you know, um, but yeah, it was cool. It was uh, an, it was another one of those places I never thought I'd get to go. So I just was like, well, I'm here. I'm going to just do it up. And so um, I was one. I stayed for one month in Tokyo, and then I got a train pass, and I just kind of rode the train around. Did you also feel that you were treated differently in Japan, or not so much? I did go into the rural parts of Japan, but everyone was super. Friendly. I think the you know the, well there were a couple times I went into restaurants and people would not serve me. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that that sucked. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they would just ignore me. I'd be like hello or like I you know I I don't speak Japanese. I just like knew like you know basic greetings and and I would like 
put translations on my phone and show people. But um, yeah, like a couple of restaurants, they just just like pretend that I wasn't there. So that was pretty wild. I think the only other thing was just like people wanted to take photos of me. So that was, you know, uh, obviously it's, it's, you know, it's not as hurtful as like not being served in a restaurant, but it was like, you know, a little, it's a little, a little odd, but, oh, actually this thing was kind of strange too. Like they have this subculture of folks who um, are obsessed with American black culture. And so they have like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I went into a store <laughs> in Harajuku, and it was like full of people who like were of that um, like vibe, and that was bizarre because no one would talk to me there either. <laughs> oh, like, oh man, <laughs> you have like a real life American black person here you can like <laughs> interact with. <laughs> maybe they weren't confident in their English speaking abilities. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it was like maybe they felt nervous. That's true. Yeah, yeah, but it was that was pretty trippy. Mm. So I guess overall, your experience in Asia was pretty positive, right? Yeah, it was it, it was a great time. I would happily go back. I mean, I know that, you know, the way that I look also sets me apart. I know a lot of people who are of African descent, like, you know, like Nigerian. You know, it, that, there's a substantial Nigerian population there. And I know that they um, get treated, you know, like in a in a much different way. And I mean, like, I definitely need to like own that as far as like having, you know, like my skin is lighter. I have like long hair because I'm biracial. And so I think a lot of times people who perhaps who aren't really like exposed to a lot of different types of black people, maybe might not read me the same way as they would read somebody who came from Nigeria. And so I think I probably got treated a little bit better than, you know, some other black people who, who do travel in Asia. Cause I've certainly heard a lot of stories. So, you know, that's, that's definitely real, but I, you know, I had a great time. I would love to go take another trip. Did you have any expectations of how you'd be treated before you went? Yeah, I was afraid that I would be treated badly. You know, there's a fear of traveling a lot as a woman. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, what if some, what if I get attacked? Um, that was like the predominant fear, but I did have a little bit of fear of like, you know, anti-blackness. Thankfully, I didn't really experience. It. I mean, I think it's just because in America <laughs> there's so much of it and there's such a history of black people not really being able to travel freely in America. And there's like this big tradition of black people leaving America for like Europe and Northern Africa countries and Southern Africa country, Southern African countries. So I guess maybe that was like my primer of like, Oh, well in America it's bad. So, you know, it's probably bad in these other places, but Mm. Mm. thankfully it was not, uh, thankfully that didn't, that my experience didn't like mirror that. Yeah. Okay, so you've been through Asia, Australasia, and then you returned to to the States for a bit, and then you went to South Africa, right? Yeah, I did a little, I did take a little jaunt to Australia, which was fun, Um, but not more fun than New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Good good choice of words. (laughs) (laughs) And then I, um, yeah, I was in South Africa for a bit, uh, which was pretty cool. That's when I I did my little um, contemporary art project, my little Mm. doc project. What was the experience of living in South Africa like for you? That was, first of all, South Africa is so cool. I think everyone should go visit. It's an amazing place. Um, But it was interesting because, again, their, you know, notions of blackness were very different from what I was used to. And so their people didn't really read me as black um, often, which I actually found super insulting, to be honest, at first. I was like, how dare you? (laughs) Um, cause it was always other black people who were, who were like, you're not black. And I was just like, well, you know, fuck you. And cause I was kind of like denying you of your identity. Right. 
Yeah, but then I thought about it, and I was like, well, okay, like, I have a lot of, you know, it's the, the American privilege kind of is, like, the first thing through the door. And so I was like, okay, people here are reading me as, like, a privileged American, which I am. And also because, you know, biracial, I don't necessarily fit into, like, the South African conception of, like, what blackness looks like, quote-unquote. Obviously, I'm painting with broad strokes. Once I, like, kind of thought about those two things, I was like, oh, okay, but... It was great for me to be in a situation where I had more privilege than other people. I think I lived in that kind of, like, sad to say neoliberal bubble of, like, well, I'm doing everything right. Like, I'm okay. It's all those other people. And then I went to South Africa and I was like, oh, actually, like, I need to learn a lot of, a lot. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of areas where I'm really just kind of, like, problematic, which... I think was a good lesson to learn earlier rather than later in life. That's so interesting because um, for me, I learned so much from you about things like race and like feminism and like intersectionality. So I felt like I learned so much of that from our conversations. And so like hearing that you, you also had so much to learn yourself, but I guess it's something that you just continuously gain knowledge and insight into I guess oh that's so sweet thank you for sharing that too I learned so much from our conversations as well so it's definitely a two-way street that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so being in South Africa like what were some of the biggest takeaways that you had from your experience there the first thing I remember being struck by was how fly everyone in Johannesburg was (laughs) oh my god just like stylish cool people they just like ooze it um, so that was pretty cool. And I think, you know, like I, I mean, I'm, my family's from the Caribbean. I was born there. And so like, I knew what it was to be in a majority black place, but the Caribbean is very small fries. So being in a massive major country, that was a new experience, right? Because I mean, I don't mean to insult the Caribbean, but it is really tiny. And a lot of the places are still colonies basically, or territories, I guess is like a new way to call colonies. And they're very much governed by European powers or American powers, right? But South Africa wasn't like that. And so it was it was powerful for me to see. And also, like, the people rose up and, like, took the government. You know, like, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, tough to navigate. I was new and I didn't really know anybody. But it was people were so friendly and so willing to help. And, um, you know, just, like, the generosity and the hospitality. Obviously, I think it's different from, you know, traveling as an American person gives me a lot of privilege. And then traveling as somebody who's just there for, like, fun or for work you know I think I get treated a lot better than people who travel to live there as like migrants and immigrants so that's you know definitely a factor in my experience but um I think that I think I liked it so much precisely because I learned how much I didn't know and I was kind of like uncomfortable a lot you know when I was there I learned that it's so hard for people in South Africa to leave South Africa for trips or to travel the way that I was traveling because a lot of other governments require that they have X amount of money in their bank account like just really racist um, laws that like, you know, like Europeans, you know, European people in their twenties, like travel all around and they can have like $2 in their bank account and it's fine because they have a European passport. But like in South Africa, it really wasn't the case. You had to be, you know, you had to have a substantial amount of money and you had to someone vouch for you, I think in the other country where you were going. So it was just really like limiting. And, you know, like I am able to travel pretty much anywhere because of the passport that I have. So that was, that was like a new thing to learn. And then just, you know, obviously American imperialism uh, was not something I really thought about in a critical way before um, going to South Africa. And that's like a, that's a major part of, you know, the critical conversations that they have, you know, like America um, was not seen as like, um, you know, a positive place. Not that, not that they hate, you know, not, I'm not trying to dramatize it, but 
they clearly think about it in a more critical way than I was ever exposed to. And I, and I have, you know, I did like, I did women's studies in college. So I, you know, was familiar, but even just like at parties and gatherings, everyone was just so willing and open to talking about like the history of South Africa. I think in America, people just like to pretend that, you know, we don't have any kind of bad history, you know, it's just like, why are you talking about that? That was in the past. And then in South Africa, they're like, no, like this fucked up thing happened. Like I I remember I went out to brunch with a friend of mine and she, the place where we were was like a, I guess, rapidly gentrifying part of Johannesburg. And so there were all these like breweries and, you know, the kind of things that come with like gentrification. Yeah. (laughs) Yuppie hotspots. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Staff who wear aprons. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, she was like, we were sitting outside and she pointed to the building across from where we were sitting. And she was like, that was a prison. And they killed a lot of political prisoners uh, during the end of apartheid there. So that was a pretty sobering moment. Sounds super interesting. I'd love to visit South Africa one day. You should. It's so cool. (laughs) Beautiful too. Oh my god. So yeah, beautiful. yeah. I heard Cape Town especially is stunning. Cape Town is so beautiful. I mean, you're you grew up in New Zealand, so maybe you won't care, but it's <laughs> uh it's like very, very beautiful and it's uh yeah, you can't go wrong. Actually, you know what's interesting I learned about Cape Town is Cape Town apparently when apartheid was ending, Cape Town was like the more liberal city between Johannesburg and Cape Town. And so where in Johannesburg they legislated, you know, like they legislated jobs and they put into law that black people and like quote unquote colored people had to be allowed to like work and live. And they codified anti-racist measures basically in Johannesburg. But because Cape town was already more liberal, they didn't really, there wasn't what, like, I think as much of a drive to do that kind of corrective measure. And today I feel like Cape town is like much more racist than Johannesburg. Like I went to a, like a pool rooftop bar with some friends and um, two of them were from other African countries, and they wouldn't let us in. And then I was like, okay, like maybe it's it is at capacity or whatever. And then like there was this group of American white tourists who like as we were exiting the elevator, they got into the elevator, and the elevator only went to the restaurant, mind you. It wasn't like it was like stopping at this. And they they like got in. They they didn't come back. Like it was just like they were allowed to enter. So we were in the elevator and literally what the guy did was the guard, when the elevator opened, he looked at us and he's like, we're at capacity. And so we couldn't even get off the elevator. But yeah, that was really shocking. And so like my friends, I remember this one friend, she was, she would tell me like, you might think Cape Town's pretty. And when I first went there, like the first couple of weeks, I was like, this is great. I don't know what people are talking about, but people would say, you know, like Cape, like watch out for Cape Town. Like, you know, things happen in Cape Town. Then that happened. And I could, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't believe them, but here it is. It's. I guess that example showed me that me not believing them was like a factor of me kind of like, those were my blind spots, right? I was like, well, maybe it is for you, but like, you're probably like overreacting or, you know, the kind of like gaslighting things that people tell you when you experience racism. I was telling my friends there and then, you know, it was only when I actually experienced it for myself that I really kind of took their um, words seriously. So do you think, your experiences overseas and experiencing all these different places and cultures and spending quite a lot of time in all those places, did it change how you related to your own identity when you moved back to the States? Yes. I think I probably was one of those insufferable people who like just talked about travel all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But after I got over that, it really gave me a lot more empathy. I think it's fundamental for me 
to understand that the way I live my life is not the way to live life. And that is a gift in every aspect of my life. At work, I can see the way I do things might not be the only way to do things. Or in relationships with other people, I can see maybe like the way that I conceive of relationships is not the way that everyone does. There is no better or worse. It's just being open to the possibility of different ways to move successfully through the world, you know? Yeah, I agree. It is such a gift to be able to recognize that because I think it's so easy to be like, well, I'm living this way and it's working for me. So everyone should also live this way. Like, why is that person not acting the way that I would act in that situation? Um, Yeah, I often have to catch myself from thinking those thoughts sometimes. For you, what did travel mean? Like why? Because I know you love travel, but do you know why you love it so much? Yeah, it's just so, it's just so freeing. It's just, uh, I just love it because, you know, I lived in a town that was like predominantly white. My work was predominantly white and I never felt like I had a lot of agency. Traveling gave me that agency because it, you know, it was kind of intoxicating for me because I would wake up, especially during that trip and realize I can do whatever I want. You know, like I bought a ticket to India and I went to India, you know, like it was like, at no point in my life until that until that point had I ever experienced the freedom of just doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it without having to factor in how is somebody going to perceive me? Will someone let me do this? Am I going to make somebody mad? Do I have other responsibilities I need to be thinking of? And that was revolutionary for me because I don't know that many women, period, but like Black women, young women, get that kind of freedom that mm. early in life. I think people get it as they get older and they just stop caring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they have more money and, you know, more ability to, you know, do what they want. I grew up in kind of a strict household. So it was very clear, like you go to college, then you get a job, you know, like it was like everyone was felt you had the steps laid out for you of what you're supposed to do for a good life. And it was, I think up until that point, I always thought of like, okay, what does a successful person need to do? You know, I need to get a master's degree. I need to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, and those were not thoughts I had put in my head. There was Those were thoughts I had grown up with. Do you feel like you are able to maintain that sense of freedom and agency when you're not traveling? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of constrained with everyday life, right? Like, <laughs> I have a job, so I can't just, like, up and go. I mean, I guess everything's remote now. But then, you know, obviously there's our good friend, Miss Rona. So we can't just up and go oh, anyway. Well, but yeah. In normal circumstances. <laughs> in normal circumstances. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you should look up and leave and, you know, like you, I guess that's another part of being part of a community, right? You're like beholden to other people in some aspects. And so it just makes things a little bit more difficult. I know a lot of other people also have that same feeling where when they travel, they can be whoever they want to be. And I sometimes wonder like, why is it so hard for us to maintain that same sense of freedom and just carefreeness? in our everyday lives as well. For me, when I was in Japan, I've honestly, I just felt so free as well to just be whoever I wanted to be without people judging me because they don't, they don't know like old me, like they don't know where I've come from. They don't know my history. And so they just see me for like the present me. And it doesn't matter if I'm too loud or if I laugh too much. That's a good point. I, I like what you said. I like what you said about like the kind of freedom. I think it's, I would say I have two. Okay. So two things come to mind. One is that being in a new environment um, forces you to change everything that you're doing anyway. So I wonder if that's a factor 
But the other thing is, and I think this is, I, I don't think this necessarily applies to you and me, but so in, in the Caribbean, a lot of people will come to the Caribbean and just like act crazy. Like they'll just do a lot of drugs. They'll like come there for like sex tourism. And I think a lot of it is because they get to do that because no one knows who they are. So they just like act with sure. abandon. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't think that's the case with us. No. <laughs> but, um, but I wonder like, it, you know, like it's a privilege. Like we come from Western places. And so like we're able to kind of like, we have the money and we have the ability and the passports to kind of do that. Like kind of take a break, you know, from life. Yeah, very true. So you've alluded a few times to your Caribbean background. So you were born there and then you moved to the States when you were young? Yeah. So I was, so, um, like I was telling you earlier, there's like territories now, which are basically like (laughs) they're colonies, but now they're called territories and America, um, has some, and I was born on one called St. Thomas. And so, yeah, so I had American citizenship from birth, but, um, St. Thomas actually, I think it was Dutch before it was American. And before it was Dutch, I think it was Spanish for a hot second. So when I was like two or three, we moved to the States because my parents went to graduate school in Ohio, actually. (laughs) So at that time, there were a lot of scholarships that were being offered to people in the Caribbean to, to study elsewhere. And, and so my parents were able to, um, I don't know. I don't think they got full scholarships, but I think at least one of my parents got a substantial amount. So once they completed graduate school, the plan was to go back to the Caribbean. But it's it's really quite difficult to get jobs there because it's, um, you know, they're small economies. And also the majority of the economies are dedicated towards tourism. So they decided to stay in Florida. And my dad actually came from he's from Trinidad and um, he was served in the army because I don't know if it's the same today, but during that time. If you served in the army for like X number of years, you got American citizenship. So he was a citizen and then uh, my mom got naturalized uh, in America. And so we just decided to to stay. But Ohio was way too cold. So we went to Florida <laughs> and Florida, <laughs> um, Florida also has a huge Caribbean population. And so it was closer to the Caribbean, warmer, and there were more of, you know, similar communities around than like um there were in Ohio and did you um always have quite a close connection with your Caribbean roots you know I was so young and I feel very firm in my American identity and in America it's so common for people like me who are I guess I'm not technically second generation because I was always an American citizen you know it's just like the the culture obviously is different but um I always felt American my parents you know, it was like the food and like their rules. They were probably a lot stricter than standard American parents. But, um, you know, the culture I grew up around, the references I know are all American references. And I always feel like a fish out of water, actually, when I go back to the Caribbean. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> what about you? I, I know you were born in New Zealand, but like, do you feel that way when you go back to China? I was actually born in China. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, I no, no. No, no. Um, I was born in China, but I left when I was two years old. So I grew up in New Zealand. And... I I think similar to you, I consider myself a Kiwi. The thing is, though, like, I still recognize myself as Chinese, but, like, culturally, I'm more New Zealand. The older I've gotten, the closer I want to be with my Chinese, like, heritage. I I also get more interested as I get older, but I, I have so many, like, hang-ups that, it, like, really prevents me from, you know, learning more. <laughs> what do you, hang-ups, what do you mean? I don't know. It's just, you know, when I go back to the Caribbean, it's always to visit family. And 
and it's not, I don't really have, I guess the same experience somebody who doesn't have family there would have, if that makes sense. And so it's not exciting for me to go and like sit in my aunt's house, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so when I go back and, um, as far as the Indian part goes, I mean, like, I am so curious about it, but there's a lot of anti-blackness in Indian communities and I never really felt fully welcomed. And so it's weird to have this curiosity, but also kind of like, well, why would I want to spend time getting to know, you know, a culture that doesn't really like me? There's a lot of anti-blackness in the States, but also, you know, like I heard anti-black things in other Indian communities as I traveled too. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. Because in the Caribbean, it's not necessarily strange to see a black Indian person because Trinidad and Jamaica and Guyana have, you know, I don't know how common it is, but I know it's not uncommon. And I know there's other people like me. But it's interesting because with Kamala Harris now having such a spotlight, now I feel a little bit bolder and like wanting to know more um, about the Indian side. The, the other aspect of it is, is that I think for a long time, you know, I had a lot of internalized anti-blackness myself. And when I was like growing up, I was in all white environments. And so I would always be like, I'm half Indian, you know, as a way to distance myself from blackness. And so I think like as an adult, I don't want to do that. And so that makes me hesitant to like want to learn more about the Indian side of me or even to tell people. Now as an adult, people will like guess because they see my last name or because I look biracial, they'll be like, you know what, you know, what's your story? But but yeah, so those are my hangups (laughs) that keep me from really like that's really interesting. More. So actually, when you were younger, you didn't want to be seen as black? Yeah, because I think, I don't know that I would have been able to articulate that, but I but I definitely knew that blackness was not a good thing. There was anti-blackness on the Indian side of my own family, and so they would say things that were like, hmm. And going to all-white schools in a conservative place, I mean, Florida's, Florida's a conservative place. You know, people would say really messed up things all the time, and... I, you know, it's funny because kids really do pick up on those things. They might not know, they might not be able to explain it to you, but they do know, you know. So you've got your Indian heritage, you've got your Caribbean heritage, and then you grew up in America. So culturally you feel American, but then you've got the environment around you being quite anti-black. And then you've got like anti-blackness in the Indian community as well. Did you ever feel like a sense that you didn't really belong anywhere? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of painful, I will say. I don't think I realized how painful it was until I got older that I was, like, seeing all of these ways that I had tried to assimilate. Like, I always straightened my hair and – but, you know, it's funny. I went to Brazil. I did a gap year in Brazil after I graduated from high school, and I remember it was such a, like – mind shifting time for me because I looked like I fit in so easily. No one, no one thought I was not from there unless I opened my mouth because it's such a country of like mixture, racial mixture. I didn't know how much I didn't feel like I fit in until I went there and I fit in and I was like, wow, this is like a great experience. Was there ever like a point in your life where you felt like, yes, like this is who I am and this is my identity? I think when I got to college, So I told you that my school was all white growing up and I was never really around other black women or any other women of color, to be, to be honest. And then when I got to college, that changed. And I just was like, so delighted to have black women friends and women of color friends. Like it just was like, and so I think that is when I really was like proud to be like, yes, I'm a black woman. Yes. I'm a woman of color. And I really like pursued friendships with people like that um, because they were so nourishing to me. And it was just like, yeah, you know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. 
So amazing. And then um, when I came out in college, my last year in college, and then it became really important for me to find queer Black communities and queer communities of color. And then that was even more life-giving. And actually, you know, I have three of my closest friends are other Black uh, queer women. And it, that has, like, sustained me during this pandemic. We meet every Saturday. That's actually what I'm doing after this call. And we, like, watch a movie and hang out. And that has been just so... It's so... Yeah, just, you know, like recognition of yourself and another is so important to me because I never saw that really growing up. Yeah, that's so nice that you found that. So for you then, after the shit show that was last year, (laughs) (laughs) do you feel more hopeful going forward? You know, that's a good question. I... I think I'm a lot more optimistic and I see so many people agitating to change systems now that I'm like emboldened by that. Um, And so many young people too. Like that is wild. Cause like I, you know, I went to BLM protests. So they, for me, they really started being a thing after Ferguson, um, the protests in Ferguson, Um, this guy named Mike Brown, this young man was shot and killed and they just kind of like left him in the street. And so there were a lot of protests that stemmed from that. And and there were BLM, BLM was kind of like, um, becoming a thing at that time because this young man in Florida named Trayvon Martin was murdered by this horrible stain of a human being. And um, I remember like during those protests, it was was predominantly black people. And this was a very liberal town in America where I lived, liberal city, but it was still like predominantly black people, Latinx people, Asian people who were part of these protests. And then this time around, there were so many white people. I was gobsmacked. I went to a protest in Orlando and it was like majority white. And they were saying like Black Lives Matter. And that just like knocked me off my feet. And so (laughs) I think like systems really change when there's like a shift. Well, let me not even say that because I am not like a history major. So I'll probably say something dumb. But I feel that people in power need to be willing to give up their power and advocate for change in order for change to happen. And because there are so many white people today that I feel are willing to do that, I do think that things will get better. And that's like a pretty cool thing to experience. Mm, nice. So finally, once everything calms down, where are you going to travel to next? <laughs> <laughs> and when are you coming back to New Zealand? <laughs> oh, I want to come back so bad. I love New Zealand. Oh, I love that place so much. I think about it all the time. Really? I have like little pictures. Yeah, I have pictures of New Zealand up in my apartment. Um, I would really love to go to Sweden and Norway. I don't know why. I just really want to visit Scandinavia, I guess, in the summer. <laughs> when it still would probably feel like winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Have you been there? No, but um, so in my company, there's a few Swedish people. So I've worked like around Swedish people, but I've never been there. No, I do want to go, but I also hate the cold, so I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in the summer, I think it doesn't get like super warm, but I think it like I don't know what it is in Celsius, but it gets into like the 60s, which for us is like light sweater weather. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that would be pleasant. <laughs> Actually, I do want to visit the US at some point, but not right now. Come to LA. I will, but once you know things are a little bit <laughs> America's not yeah. not a dumpster fire <laughs> 
But yes, um, um, yeah. no, thank you so much for sharing your experiences so far. I bet you miss travel so much. So hopefully we'll all be able to do that in the near future. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you so much. This was so great. I can't wait to hear the other episodes. Yes. <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Not Your Token Minority. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and make sure to follow along on social media. Just search for Not Your Token Minority Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. I'm always looking for people to interview as well, so if you or someone you know want to have a chat, then send me a message at hello at notyourtokenminority.com.